let's take our Bibles and turn back to the book of Joshua. Joshua, this morning we're in chapter 4. We have a lot to study, so I don't want to take a lot of time to recap, but we know that Israel's been delivered out of Egypt. We know that they wandered in the desert for 40 years instead of 11 days because of their sin and rebellion, and now they're on the doorstep of the promised land. They have a a new populace, they have a new leader, um, they have a new commission, and there are new opportunities sitting right ahead of them. And the Lord, we've seen in the last three weeks, has called them to go in and take the land. So after consecrating themselves, chapter 2, last week we saw that the priest took that first step into the water, carrying the ark, the water at flood stage, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes, and that as they took that first step into the water, that the water stacked up 17 miles back uh, at the city of Adam, and they walked through on dry ground again. Now we get to chapter 4, where the Lord is going to give them a very um, profound and very distinctive command to recognize what he's done, to recognize his mercy and his help, and then to remember it forever. You know, remembering is, is very, very important to the Lord. And he talks about it all throughout Scripture of the need to remember. We have remember the Sabbath, that God has been faithful and that there's a time of rest, not to um, just do whatever we want, but to reflect on Him. He says, remember when you were in bondage in Egypt. And he says, remember how I brought you out of the wilderness. The Bible says, remember the wonderful deeds that He's done. Remember His covenant. And we know at the Last Supper that Jesus said, every time you eat, remember me. Remember what I have done. So there are significant times um, in our lives where we remember. All throughout our lives, we should be remembering what God has done for us. But when you look back over the course of your life, even when I look back over the last seven years as a church, there are, there are moments, there are times that have an impact not only on our emotions and, and our physicality, but they have uh, an impact on our faith. And pictures especially become very powerful and very evocative of, of times that we want to remember, events that changed our lives. I was um, reminded of this again yesterday when I looked at the pictures that um, Renee Kelly and her family had gathered together for her dad's funeral and, and how they kind of detailed her life. And we talked about, you know, when her dad was young and was in the military and, and how different he looked and what it was like to see your parents at that age because you didn't know them at that age. Um, and then I had also felt that personally as I was driving to the funeral, I was listening to my, my dad preached. He did a series on Revelation back in, I think it was 1979, and I was listening to him preach and, and how different his voice sounded and how fervent and passionate and, and how fast he talked. I couldn't believe how fast he talked, but, but was being blessed and, and thinking of the days when we were in a metal building and it was a Sunday night, and what Sunday night, all those memories flooding back. And that was right after I had listened to a song on the radio that, that took me right back to my freshman year at Wheaton. I mean, it was like, boom, I remember where I was standing when I was listening to that song. So things that we hear, things that we see especially, they trigger very powerful emotions. And there are certain ones that are seared into our conscience. 
when we looked at our spouses, we were getting married, or when we held that first child that first time, so small and fragile, and what do I do now? And I can't believe they're going to let me leave the hospital with a human being. Like, I've got to take care of this person. Why are they trusting me with that? Or times when we watched the loved one pass into heaven. Or there are images like the Twin Towers in 2001. I'll never forget sitting in bed at my house and watching the the towers fall. Or a sporting event or something significant that that really sticks with us. And we see those images and and we're transported, aren't we, to, to, to where we were and how we felt. And maybe we can even feel the sights, uh, excuse me, the sounds and, and the smells and the emotions of the moment. Now, Israel had a lot of those. Up to Joshua chapter 4, there were, there were a lot of stories, there were a lot of scenes to remember that were incredibly dramatic. When the plagues came onto Egypt and, and the nation was overrun by flies and the river turned to blood and there was darkness in the land and the wails of the, of the Egyptian homes as the firstborn son died during Passover. Or crossing the Red Sea on dry ground as the water stacked up on either side and, and just the amazement of seeing that journey through. Or, or when the cloud would come down on the tabernacle and the presence of God would fill that as all 12 tribes were camped around. Or when Moses would walk out from meeting with the Lord and his face would be glowing so brightly that they had to cover it. All these things that were happening, bread coming down from heaven, quail flying through it at eye level so they could just reach up and grab one and kill it and eat it. Different images that they had. And now they stand after 40 years of wandering and they're armed with the promise that God gave to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And now they're standing on the shore looking across the Jordan River, which is usually about as wide as this room. And there is the promised land. And they're finally there. And just like 40 years before, there's a visceral expression of God's provision as they watch the water of the Jordan pull back and pull back and disappear around the corner and keep moving and moving and moving. But this time, the Lord says, you're not going to do what your forefathers did because you remember what happened if they crossed the Red Sea? Within four verses, we're unhappy. We need water. We need food. We need this. It's hot. There are no trees. There are flies. The camels smell. Just just complaining, complaining, complaining. This time says the, the Lord says, I'm going to repeat the miracle. But this time you're not going to forget. So look at what he says here. We're going to read the whole chapter. I know it's a lot of scripture, but that's okay because scripture is good, right? This may be the most scripture some of us have read this week. So... There you go. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you're lodged tonight. 
So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God and to the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Then the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they're there to this day. For the priests who carried the Ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. And when all the people, verse 11, had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people, the sons of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This was something they had decided back in Exodus. Crossed over into battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them about 40,000 equipped for war, crossed for battle before the Lord did the desert plains of Jericho. On that day... The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now the Lord said to Joshua, verse 16, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came about when they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month, we talked about that last week, and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you will inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, one thing that stands out here that I think is kind of overlooked in some ways is the faithfulness of the priests. Not only did they have to take that first step into the floodwaters, as we talked about last week, but, but they're out in the middle of the dry riverbed, and they're holding the ark of God's presence as literally millions of people are crossing with organized pandemonium. There, there are animals, there are people, there are children, and, and they're standing there just in the middle, not moving, holding the ark, feet set, not wandering, not not taking a break, not getting a cup of water. They're just standing there. And that's such a statement of their faith and their patience and their servants because not only is this a huge responsibility, but, but how many know that somewhere in the back of their mind, they have to be wondering, when is that water coming back? 
I mean, I know that they know that the Lord has done this, and they know that the ark is key, and that they have to stand still with it. But what happens if they get tired? What happens if they need to move? What happens if they need to let it down? What's going to happen then? You ever felt like that? You're kind of standing out in the open in a situation and you're exposed to uncertainty and exposed to danger and you're being led by the Lord and you know He's providing, but you're just wondering what's around the next corner. What happens if? I mean, I know God's faithful and I know God's good and I see His hand all over this, but, but what happens if? You know, I think the priests, we have to make them human because they're human, right? They have very human thoughts. But the one thing that was absolutely sure was that there was no way that that water was coming back as long as they held that ark because the ark represented the presence of the Lord. And no matter how that water churned 17 miles away, standing up in a stack, and no matter how chaotic the situation was with the people walking across, they knew we are holding the very present help in time of trouble. That God's presence made them secure, and His presence gave them safety. You know, you and I may not be holding an ark, but we're holding the Word of God, and we've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we need to walk and live with the same confidence in uncertainty, because as long as we are abiding in His presence, He will never let us get washed away. And you and I have to trust in that, and we have to believe in that with everything that we've got. Now, after they cross, look at what happens. It's throughout the chapter that we just read. The Lord says, Joshua, get one man from every tribe and go grab a large stone, right from where the priests were standing. So this was not just, you know, smooth, uh, silky sand that they were standing on. There were large boulders, large rocks all around them. And as they are standing there, the men go down and they grab the rocks and they put them on their shoulders. Now, this was not a minor thing. Because you remember that we said last week that the people were told to stay a thousand yards away from the ark. But now he's saying, go right up to where the priests are standing and reach down. The ark's right here. You're, you're reaching down for the, for the rock and, and the ark's right there. And you're like, whoa, okay, I know that's the presence of God and we're not supposed to go near that. It was in the Holy Holy, so we're not allowed to be that. We we're told to stay a thousand yards back. So now we've got to go right up to the ark and we've got to get these stones. They knew the power. They knew the awesomeness of that. And it struck me this week as I was studying that, we need more of that sense of God's awesomeness. We need more of that that awe and fear of the presence of God. When we come to church, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, when we come to church, do we realize we're entering into the presence of the Lord? And we talk about it, we prayed about it, we sang about it, but, but when we come here, we're not just coming to a building, it's nice, got my parking spot, walked in, got my bullet and sat down, it's a little cold, I don't know. That's not what we're doing. We are entering the manifest presence of the Lord. He is here with us, and when we come in, we can't come in flippantly just like, oh yeah, it's another thing I'm doing this week. After this, I'm going out to eat, and then I'm going to go home and do whatever. This is just another stop on the, on the train of my schedule this week. We're in the presence of the Lord this morning, 
And our prayer as leaders is more and more, when you walk into this building, we want you to sense the presence of the Lord like nowhere else you go. Because that brings us to awe and humility. I've tried to picture what it was like as these men went close and kind of trading little sideways glances with the priests, like, <laughs> you, get, you see what we're doing here? This is awesome, right? The water's stacked up. You guys are staying there. We're getting these stones. I mean, this is just, this is amazing. And they go and grab them. And it's interesting because they're not grabbing stones out of mud, are they? You would expect with the Jordan River that if you were able to dam up the water a little bit, that there would be mud and silt and grossness. But they're walking through on what? Dry ground, right? So they don't have to yank those stones out of the mud and put them on their shoulder and the mud's dripping down. No, this is dry ground. So they just pick them up. They were able to pick them up because the Lord had changed what was impossible into what is easy and uncomplicated. And that's what the Lord does. The Lord does the work of pulling us out. For Israel... This represented pulling them out of bondage, pulling them out of what they had been in, the situation that they had no escape from, that they had no hope from. For us, it is pulling us out of condemnation. It is pulling us out of the bondage of sin. It is pulling us out of the lack of hope that we have for anything in our lives and redeeming us so we can now live in freedom and in victory. That's how God works. He is gracious beyond measure and he's faithful to his children and he is always worthy of our trust and dependence because not only was he bringing them out of a difficult situation and bringing them into joy he was doing it in a miraculous supernatural way and listen i want you to hear this very clearly that is how god works his provision is never ordinary You know, I have to be on guard because I've been saved 42 years that when God works, I just go, well, that's how God works. Every single thing that God does in our lives is supernatural and it is extraordinary because he doesn't have to do any of it. So when God answers your prayers, you, you don't just say, well, that's good. I prayed and God answered the prayer. No, no. When we pray and God answers, that is supernaturally extraordinary. That the author of the universe who put those stars in the sky that I saw last night after an unbelievably beautiful sunset and I got out of my car and there were the stars and Matthew's going, there's Cassiopeia. And you're just like, yes, son, there's Cassiopeia. No, God put those stars. He knows the number of every one. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions. The number goes on and on. Scientists can't even count them. God knows every name of every star. And that God is the same one who says, you come to me and you enter my presence through my son Jesus Christ and I'll listen and answer. Uh, That better fill this room Thursday night. God works supernaturally. Don't be scared of that word because God is supernatural. And he's extraordinary and he's sufficient. That's why I look back at the text He tells Joshua, get 12 stones. They're a symbol to remind you of my power and my grace and my leading and my blessing. 
And he says, these stones have a message. They're to educate your children and to educate future generations about how good I am. So when your kids come along and say, hey, Dad, what are, what are those stones all about? What does that mean? You say, you know what? <laughs> it was amazing. God brought us through into this land on dry ground. Uh, son, I'll never forget it. The water just stacked up and the priests were out there with the ark and we came through and that's an evidence of how wonderful God is. There's no way, parents, that we can overemphasize the, the concept of teaching kids about the goodness of the Lord. How are we actively teaching our kids, reminding them of how God led us, how he got us through trial, how he answered prayer, how he's always faithful. Are you doing that? Are you actively preparing? So when your kid asks, you can say, let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. You know, I, I, I think it's hard because some of us may be saying, I don't even know the books of the Bible, let alone detailed accounts of how God works or, or the theological nuances of his teaching. Listen, you can't just expect the church to fill in the gaps. That's, that's our job. And you know what? I've been teaching middle school for about 10 weeks. And I'm telling you right now, we got some great middle schoolers. But they're searching. They're hungry for truth. Our high schoolers are hungry for church, uh, for truth. Children are being indoctrinated by the world every single day. And, and, and now we've got the opportunity to say, let me tell you about what the Lord does. Let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. Let me tell you about truth. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people literally all around us within 10 miles. There are hundreds of thousands of people. And when they say, what's your hope? What, what do you believe? Why do you, why do you seem content? Why do you seem uh, blessed? What, what's going on? We can say, God is real and God is faithful. Let me tell you about it. Oh, it's a stack of stones. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. We can't fulfill, look at verse 24 for a second. We can't fulfill telling all the peoples of the earth that the hand of the Lord is mighty and the fear of the Lord of God is forever unless we're doing it in our own homes. We're about to launch next week a, a major outreach program to our community. But listen, I, why would we do that if it's not happening in our houses? People are hungry for truth. After this week, they are looking for some sort of answer. And it's not common, coming by politicians. And it's not coming by rappers. And it's not coming by football players kneeling. Truth is coming from God's word. Now, we'll talk more about that in a minute because I have a little assignment for you at the end. But look at one other thought. As soon as the stones come out, this is in... Verse 18, as soon as the stones come out, the moment the priest's feet touch the far shore, here comes the water. Now imagine the sound of the water as it rushed down, the fury of the extra water, because remember the Jordan was at flood stage. And I read an article this week that said the Jordan River in 2010, they did a study and they determined that the river contains only 3% of the water that it did 100 years ago. 
Jordan River is a significant river. Again, it's about the size of this room in most parts. There's water in the middle. Um, It's a significant river. But it only has about 3% of what it used to have. So this wasn't just a little bit of water. This was significant. Now I want to play something for you because I want you to hear and see. Do we have the video or just the sound? Okay. We may not have the video, but the sound's what I really want. Now, that's the Jordan River at flood stage. But it's not flood stage like it used to be. So imagine, if the experts are telling us what's right, imagine 30 times the amount of water. We heard the sound of that, right? It was significant. So imagine the sound as the priests are standing there. And I love, if you look back at verse 18, I love how the Spirit makes sure that we get the detail that the water returned as soon as they reached the shore. Like the moment their toes stepped on dry ground, there was the water. Now what does that mean? It means the water started from 17 miles away while they were still standing there. How many know that the Lord's timing is always perfect? See, the priests had to be able to hear 17 miles worth of water coming toward them. So how awesome was it that they did not move until they heard the word of the Lord? They're weary, they're stressed, they're overwhelmed by the responsibility, and now they're hearing the sound of the floodwaters rushing toward them, but they're not going to budge until the Lord says so. What a great spiritual truth that is for you and me, because the Bible says, remain steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So everybody's gathered on the shore. The priests come out with the ark. As soon as they hit the dry ground, the water comes right through. And it almost seems impossible that just a couple minutes before, my kids were right there. And those men, one from each tribe, were gathering stones and walking out, lugging the huge boulders on their shoulder. And the priests were just there. And now it seems impossible that we were just right there until they see those 12 stones. And when they see those 12 stones on the shore and they see the Ark of the Covenant, there can be no doubt that Jehovah is their salvation and his presence is faithfully leading them. And now it's time to build a memorial. So look at what they do quickly. We'll try to finish. It says in verse 19 and 20 that they went to Gilgal. The name of Gilgal means wheel, but in practical terms, it means to be rolling away. We get to chapter 5 next week. We'll see in verse 9 that the Lord said, I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
In other words, it's not just that you lived there and needed to be brought out. The stink and the stigma of bondage and failure in the wilderness and your rebellion and your sin and your shame, it's still attached to you until now you've smelled of rebellion. Uh, but, But now that's being rolled away and you're going to the opposite shore and now you're walking in victory. Now you're home. And he says, look at it. Don't forget what I've done. Because in case you think you might, I'm going to put this pile of stones so you will say, the Lord is mighty. The Lord has been faithful. Now, the other reality that hit me with the water coming back was that now any thought of going back was cut off. We know Israel, right? Man, they're always like living in regret. I want to go back. Egypt was great. We had buffets and smorgasbords and we were living large and sleeping on velvet couches. And it was so awesome. Why are we out here, Moses? We hate you. This is not accidental. The Lord cuts off any return. Why? Because he knows that we have a tendency to long for and regret that we're not in our old life and to believe the lie of the enemy that things were better before God. That's why Jesus says in Luke 17, remember Lot's wife because it's easy to believe the lies that that was better. So knowing Israel's default, right? Their way of thinking that, that maybe if it gets a little rough at Jericho, we'll just go back across and, and go back to the wilderness. He says, nope, I'm going to eliminate any method of that because I want you to be in the place of victory and conquest and contentment. Why would you ever want to go back? What appeal does Egypt have to you? I wish we'd ask that question. I wish I'd ask that question more often about sin. What appeal does sin have? What appeal does my old life have? What could possibly be better than knowing the Lord? And even if they panicked and said, we can't do this, we got to go back, and they started to wade through the floodwaters, which would have been ridiculous after what we just saw. But let's say they decide to do that. We'll wait till it calms down and it's not in flood stage, and then we'll, we'll go back across. As they go back across, they're not only going to have to pass the pile of stones on the shore, but Joshua says, let's add another one. We're going to pass this pile of stones in the water. So just in case you don't get it, Israel... Just in case we don't get it, believer, let's be reminded of what God's done. You know, there's an important spiritual principle the Lord put on my heart this week. That any time the Lord works, listen now, any time the Lord works, don't go back to where you were before. Anytime the Lord works, don't go back to where you were before. Once you know his love and grace, once you experience his salvation, don't even think about going back to your old life. Don't even think about giving place to sin. You're forgiven and free. That life has nothing to offer. And after God blesses you and leads you and helps you, Know how awesome that is. Don't long for the past. Don't constantly look back. Don't live in regret. Well, what if? And what if we had gone that way and done this? Listen, that's past. Live in the sufficiency of the future by faith. That was one of the purposes of these 12 stones. Not just to remember the crossing of the river on dry ground. Not just the repetition of the Red Sea. But look at verse 24. He says, the bottom line is that all the people of the earth need to know that I'm mighty 
and don't miss the second half, and that you will fear the Lord your God forever. See, that concept of fear is so essential to our faith and so essential to our maturation. And one of the ways that the Lord calls us to do this, I really believe, is by establishing memorials. Now, I mentioned at the start, we can easily remember some of the most significant times in our lives. We can remember the day, the hour, the weather, the music we heard, the people around us. I can still remember to this day, the day I walked forward in 4th Street, Calvary Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. My dad had just preached about the 22 signs of the Lord's coming. I walked forward. I can still see his face in his 1970s blue suit with the big lapels and the big collars and the humongous tie. I can see him standing there. I I remember crying as I walked down the aisle. I can remember it vividly to this day. Do you remember the day you gave your life to Christ? Remember the moment your heart was freed? How about the day he set your heart on ministry or carried you through a major crisis or blessed you or even did a miracle? The list is long, but here's my challenge to you. Establish a memorial of 12 stones. Before this day is done, Before this day is done, write down a list of 12 specific evidences of God's grace and goodness on your life. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, you're visiting, you may think, I don't have any because I don't know God. Well, I can assure you that God has placed abundant evidence out there that he loves you. He says, I'm not willing that you should die eternally. I want you to come to repentance. That's why I send Jesus. I love you more than you can imagine. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to cleanse you of all your sin. I'm willing to exonerate you, take off the weight of your bondage, and declare you to be my child if you will confess your sin and trust Jesus as your Savior. I will do that. Now, those are just two or three of the thousands of promises that God gives. And if you want to know more, and that's you, and you're like, I want to know more about that. I want to trust Christ. I want to know what it is to be freed. I would love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to sit in, at Harbor Cafe and, and share that with you. Other, all the men that were up here, all the women that were up here, they'd love to tell you about it. Because you can be freed forever. Now, for those of us that have done that, I did that in 1974, What's on our list? I've said make a list of 12 examples of God's grace and goodness. Just just His overwhelming grace and goodness. So the top 12 has to include what? The empty cross, right? The empty tomb where Jesus died for our sins and rose again and defeated sin and death forever and gave us eternal life, right? We we have to include, I would think, His his continual mercy, His patience and His long-suffering and the gift of the Holy Spirit and renewed heart and mind and, and another day of living and His Word and prayer and worship and fellowship and, and on and on. We're going to have trouble getting it down to 12, right? Just 12. Just, just make a list. That shouldn't be a challenge for His children because there are hundreds of examples. So I want you, literally, write them down. 12 examples of God's grace and goodness. You know, six years ago, we established something we call 12 Rocks. As a church, 12 core values that are an outgrowth of experiencing God's mercy. There are copies of them at the Welcome Center this morning if you want to grab one. Because we want to remember the work that God's done. In fact, rock number 12 is remembering God's mercy, remembering God's faithfulness. So we got 
a 12 list, right? How many are going to do the 12 list? Raise your hand if you are. If you're not, don't raise your hand. Okay, good. Now, notice, go back, let's finish. Look at verse 9 one more time. Joshua built a second stack of stones. Because the 12 stones that were carried out went up to the shore and they set those up a Gilgal. But before that happened, before the water came rushing back, Joshua went down into the riverbed where the priests were still standing and he grabbed 12 stones on his own and then he built a pile of stones right there on the dry ground right where they were standing, right where it was tangible that God had provided. We love tangibility, right? We hate the unknown. We like knowing what we're getting into. So we're going to make a second list. I know, you hate assignments. That's okay. You're not going to be graded. Second list. I want you to make a list of the specific moments where God has blessed you and led you and done an amazing work in your midst. The first list is about the overall grace and goodness of God. The second list is personal. What are 12 distinct examples from your life where it was obvious that God's presence was near you and that he was guiding you and that he was protecting you and he was sustaining you and he was being faithful to you and there's no other way to explain it than God is gracious. Now going back and remembering those times will will cause us to dig deep into the memories of God's grace and God's faithfulness. It may require more than just this afternoon. It may be the whole week as you're thinking on this and praying about this and meditating on it. And maybe they're not all happy times. Maybe they're not all wonderful. There will be some wonderful, joyful times where we knew, oh, God is so faithful. But there may be other times that are harsh and painful where you understood his provision and where your faith was taken to a new level because you had to go through a trial. One of my 12 that's personal is heat lightning. You go, that's kind of weird. But listen, I will never forget the time, March of 1988, where I was living in Dallas, Texas. And God, during the night, during a lightning storm that I felt like was only for me because it was about 4 o'clock in the morning, that that God spoke to my heart and confronted my self-sufficiency and said, if it's just you and me, are you okay with that? So every time I see heat lightning, not only am I reminded of the awe of his power, but I remember hearing him in the middle of the night in Texas where my life verse, Philippians 4.11, came alive. And he said, I've learned to be content in all things, whatever the circumstances. What are those moments in your life? What are the 12 stones of God's leading on you? I want to encourage you, make both lists. Let's remember this week the unmistakable examples of God's grace and God's goodness and God's kindness and God's forgiveness and God's love and God's mercy. And then get personal. What are the clear examples where God has had his hand on me? What are the clear examples where God has been good? Won't that be an awesome assignment? 24 reminders of how great the Lord is. And when you look at those 24 reminders, you will say, the Lord is the only one 
who is worthy of my trust because he is always faithful. Let's pray and thank him.